0: I don't have time. And there's not a lot at stake whether I ever contact Jonathan or anybody else. I don't, I don't have to be doing something specific other than going to church and supporting it financially. Like, who cares whether I do anything else? Or does God? And if God cares, how much does he care? Is it optional? Because that's the way it's presented, right? Jonathan says, hey, you know what? Please call me. But, but he can't make you call him, right? You can choose to or not to. It's kind of democratic. I think we all know that that's how it's perceived. My issue this morning is, is that true? Is that true? So the topic is, online church can help, but it might not be enough where two or three are logged in in my name. Because eventually, eventually, we will get back to normal. We're already talking and planning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read this parable that you know, verses 14 through 30, all right? Hope you have a Bible. Hope you always have a Bible in one form or another. And if you're watching online, get, uh, start up your Bible or open it up. Matthew twenty five fourteen to 30. Let me read. For it will be like a man going on a journey. It is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 24 He also who had received the one talent came forward saying master I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow gathering where you scattered no seed so I was afraid I went and hid your talent in the ground here I didn't lose it you have what is yours 26 But his master answered him you wicked and slothful servant you knew that I reap where I have not sowed gathered where I scattered no seed Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents. And then these horrifying words that come from the lips of Jesus. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless. Can you imagine if a pastor said that like it's not very good pr cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth let's look at this together point number 1 what is the master looking for in a good and faithful servant i mean there are of course obvious traits of character the master is looking for he calls them together, he entrusts them with the goods of his estate, and then he leaves. And he's counting on, he's counting on two principles to be strongly active in the minds of his servants. He's counting on two principles working. A, he wants those servants to understand that the wealth they are investing is not their own. That's why he's placing such trust in these servants. He has a lot at stake. If these servants take what was given them and they go to Hawaii, then they're crooks, not servants. Everything, everything in my Christian life, I'll just talk about me. You talk, you look at you. Everything in my Christian life hinges on this important understanding in my heart, and everything in the world makes this principle seem untrue. First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty. Do you not know? It's a question. He's writing a church. Do you understand this? He's saying your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Everybody say those five words with me. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Paul addresses these Christians, and he isn't sure, he just isn't sure that they, they know this truth as well as they need to know it. Do do, do you not know, do you not get this? So, so whenever I stand, and we haven't done it for a while, whenever I stand at the communion table, I need to remind myself of what I'm declaring so regularly. I mean, do, do I just see myself... Do I just see myself as forgiven, or do I see myself as purchased? Do I just see myself as cleansed, pardoned, or do I see myself as owned? That's what the word redeemed means. Oh, it's a lovely church word, isn't it? I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim. It's a great word, redeemed. Except for what it means. (laughs) Redeemed means purchased. Not forgiven, purchased. Redeemed means owned. A change of ownership. You are not your own, says Paul. That's the first principle that the master expects these servants to understand. Here's the second, B. The master wants them to work as hard with his wealth while he's away as they would if he were physically present. So so he wants these servants to be as loyal to him when they couldn't see him as when they could. That, of course, is where that third servant failed. He probably... We don't know for sure, but it's unlikely he would have buried that talent in the ground had the master been there looking over his shoulder. But the master wasn't there. Nobody was going to force him to do anything at the moment. There didn't appear to be any immediate consequences. I don't have to call Jonathan and get involved in anything. What? I'm going to go to hell, Pastor Don? There were no immediate consequences. It's his choice. Point number two. The faithful servants eliminated the temptation to misuse or waste their master's goods by setting to work with them right away. I don't know if you noticed it. It's it's in that 16 and 17, he who had received the five talents went, and these are the important words, at once, traded with them. And he made five more talents. So also, so also means he did it the same way. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. So servant number one went right away, immediately to work with his master's goods. Then it says, so also, Jesus says, servant number two set out. So, at once, at once means no hesitation, immediately, so also means the same way. Immediately. It's from the Greek word euthus. It, it's the word that has its roots in the idea of straight or direct. We still use it. We say, we say the shortest distance between two points is a what? Straight line. That, that's the idea behind that word. Jesus means that these servants took no detours on their way to their assignments. Jesus means these two faithful servants were undistracted. Maybe unlike our culture, many of us, there was nothing they felt they had to do first before they got to the business of looking after the interests of their master because they are owned by the master. They weren't waiting for retirement. They weren't wasting their time assessing how other people could probably do a better job than they. No, there was an excitement in their stewardship. They had this sense of calling. They knew what their life was about. They knew why they were doing what they were doing because they, they weren't their own and they were serving their master. Like they knew, they knew that's what my life is. It's not mine. Everything I have, every second of my time, it's for my master. So they, they lived in that. They walked in that and they did it immediately. Maybe the psalmist would have put it a little differently. They serve the Lord with gladness, the psalmist said. Not just worship the Lord with gladness. We're good at that. Oh my God. We got the lights, we got the band, we got the cool backgrounds. Not worship the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Nothing opens the door for failure in my Christian life like putting off what I know. I ought to do for Jesus. This one talent servant, let's be clear, this one talent servant didn't fail because he had less to work with than the other two. No, he he failed because before he did anything else, he dug a hole in the ground. Before he did anything else, he made time for his laziness. Before he did anything else, he made room for his excuses. It's what you do first that matters most. There's such a truth here. You can move out immediately to serve the Lord with what you've been given, or, more than you know, you will dig your life into a hole that you will never get out of. How much does it matter whether or not you call Jonathan? Point number three, servants are rewarded on the basis of faithfulness, not giftedness. I'm so thankful for that. Matthew 25, 19 to 23. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received five talents came forward Bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Okay, pay attention to these. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made Two talents more. And his master said to him, Do these sound familiar? Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I'd like you to think about this with me for a minute. Because the more you study this parable, the more you will see how carefully Jesus crafted it. For example, you have to ask, what is the reason Jesus includes three servants in this parable instead of just two? If all, if all Jesus wanted to do, think about it, if all he wanted to do was compare an obedient servant to a disobedient servant, he could have left out servant number two, right, with the two talents, He could have just said, here's the one that had five, and he made five more. Here's the guy who didn't do anything. That would have made the point, that would have made the point that we must invest and not hide our master's goods in the ground. But that's not the only point Jesus wants to make in this parable. It's an important point. There's a reason he has three servants, two of them faithful, He includes three servants because he also wanted to compare the two faithful servants in terms of their reward when the master came back. And he specifically compares two faithful servants to show that their reward is exactly the same, even though one was working with larger numbers than the other. That's why Jesus has three in this story. They received the same reward because rewards aren't given On the basis of giftedness, rewards are given on the basis of faithfulness. They both put their master first with what they were given. They both set out to work for their master immediately when he left. Here's the thing. They both, five talents, two talents, they both put the master's concerns above their own they both they both fought off all of the excuses for selfishness and self-centeredness they both work as faithfully when the master was away as they would have when he's physically present and they both receive exactly the same reward so so behold behold god's method for putting kingdom greatness within the reach of everyone Look at his mercy. That's why, that's why at times the Bible says the first will be last and the last will be first because we tend to look at five talents. Corbin's a one talent. Boy, I'd like to be the five talent guy when Jesus comes back. And that's why Jesus says, no, 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 the first will be last, the last will be first because it's not talents, it's faithfulness. When I was a kid if you're here under 30, you won't even know these words. When I was a kid, we used to sing little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There is a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. That's a very precious truth. You don't need the world's greatest talents, and you don't need the biggest stage. You, you just need the calling and a faithful heart with what you've received from the Lord. Now, of course, like most biblical truths, it's got two edges. The greatest gifts and the highest profile count for nothing if pride or arrogance, or self-will, or greed, or selfishness, if they keep just a simple faithfulness to Jesus from doing what you need to be doing. Four, lessons from a wasted life. Matthew 25, 24 to 30. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So so I was, there's how he assesses it. I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. I wonder if he was proud. I didn't lose it. Look. And what you're looking at is is a pathetic example of someone who thinks who thinks the kingdom experience is completed in receiving from God I received Jesus into my heart I received the holy spirit I am blessed when I go to church and worship I feel good inside I see see the direction here And this guy thinks that's enough. A lot of people think it's enough. Here you have what is yours, 26. But his master answered him. (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? He says afraid. It's a lot more flattering than those two words, isn't it? Wicked, slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what was what was my own with interest. Increase. You did something with it. Aim for aim higher than morality. Don't just be good. Be good for something. Take the talent from him, give it to him who has 10 talents, four to everyone who has. More will be given. There's a reward for faithfulness. For everyone who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I wish it stopped. Like if you had a felt pen, and you could just scratch the rest out. Cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, here's the thing. Whether we like the way this ends or not is irrelevant. It seems to be the part of the story Jesus wanted to emphasize. And here's how you can tell. That's not a guess. Jesus gives more verses. Of course, Jesus didn't write in verses. I get it. Matthew did. But more words. Jesus gives more words to the unfaithful servant than to both faithful servants put together. So clearly, the emphasis in Jesus... Mine is not on the five and the two, but it's on this lazy, wicked servant. That's the one Jesus wants to put more attention on. A, by his own admission, fear, he says. Fear kept him from doing what he should have been doing for his master. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So in a way, he blames his failure on the master. He says the master was, he had high expectations. Master really wanted productivity. And it just put a lot of pressure on him. He was afraid. And so he buried his master's money in the ground. The master, however, won't let that excuse stand. I mean, after all, if if the servant really feared the master so much, you would think he would have feared judgment from his master, and he would have done something. So, B, the master describes the servant as both wicked and lazy. That's in 25 and 26. Master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. The Creator, who knows exactly what is in our hearts, He knows what's in my heart, he knows what's in your heart, he gives, he gives a 100% accurate diagnosis of this servant's real problem. And it's quite different from the servant's own words. Here's why people won't call Jonathan. Pastor Don... I know that we need people here, here, and here. But here's the thing. There are other people who are just so much more qualified than I for those ministries. There are people God's given them so many more gifts than I have. You have to understand. It's not not that I wouldn't be happy to help out, but there's other people who would be so much better at that than I would ever be. And it almost sounds humble, doesn't it? You think, oh, you wonderful spiritual person. And the master would say, well, you're right. That's true. There are five and ten talent people all over the place. And then the master would say to me, to you, but that's really not the issue, is it? The issue is, what are you doing with your one talent? How faithful are you with your one talent? Never mind, you don't have ten or five. What are you doing with the one? The issue is me avoiding using what I've been given because I think there are other more qualified people. But never forget, I'm as much a servant with one talent as someone else is with ten. We're servants. Remember, Paul, you are not your own. Few talents. Many talents, tiny bit of money, a lot of money, a lot of time, very little time. Surely that's the whole point in Jesus' story. That's why in his telling, he has the one talent person hide his master's talent in the ground. Jesus is trying to show that one talent people are just as liable for judgment as 10 talent people if they don't use what they have for the Lord. That's the point. Here's the bottom line. Oh, no, no, I just... Pastor Don, really, I'm just meek and humble. I'm just, I'm just a one-talent person, Pastor Don. See, I'm hunched over. Poor me. I'm just a one-talent person. And the one-talent person puts his own security ahead of his master's instructions, and for that he is judged. He lived, this one talent person, here's what he did, and he he gets judged. He lived like it was up to him whether he would use his one talent for Jesus or not. He lived like that was his choice, And his master says, it's not your choice. You're accountable to me. C, we're almost done. Uselessness is as eternally damning as wickedness. Do you see that in Matthew 25, 28 to 30? So take the talent from him. Give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then cast, he doesn't want to go, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, how, how seriously... How seriously does the master take this issue of faithfulness and fruitfulness? How much does it matter? I asked that question at the beginning, remember? Well, that's what these verses deal with. Jesus, Jesus is teaching that we we vastly underestimate the importance of fruitful servanthood for him. And he's, he's trying to alert me to a coming reckoning that may have surprising elements for someone like me who's named his name for 60 years. You, you don't have to lose what you've been given. The one talent servant didn't lose any of his master's money. He, he simply did nothing with it. I mean, there were Chances. There were chances to put in his time and his energy, but, but he, he felt like that was up to him. Does it matter? Well, I think it does. The master called these servants together initially to do his work while he was away. And the master wanted them to care about his work as much as he cared about his work. That's what Jesus means when he says, so it will be. He means it's the kingdom. This is how the kingdom works. And so we learn a very important truth. We learn that the Christian life was never, ever meant to be understood simply as something received. We learn that the Christian life was meant in Jesus' mind to be received as New life for the master's service. Jesus made it clear, didn't he? I mean, it's like salt that you put into meat to season it. It's like a light, he said, you put on a hill to enlighten the world. Talents mean mission. Fear, church, fear uselessness like you fear the occult. Jesus For for contrary to our emphasis, Jesus never once warned about overstressing ourselves in his kingdom. Not once. I think he knew that wasn't going to be a problem. What he warned about was a kind of distracted, indifferent laziness that would preserve selfish security. Jesus is our creator. He made us from the ground up. Here's the thing. He knows how to best preserve and fulfill our lives. And he knows it will never come by receiving life from Christ and then just digging holes. Digging holes. He knows that the deepest joy will come from people who understand they're not their own. People who live their lives like they're their own, destroy themselves. They dig holes and bury themselves. And so his advice, now, as then, Jesus says, lose yourself in mission. Assess what you've been given. Put energetic, passionate, sacrificial effort into being a faithful servant, owned by the Master. That's the best way to find your life, both now and eternally. So here's my conviction. two things that constitute a New Testament church. Two things. It's a place of invested service. Everyone has been given something. Receiving it is not enough. Everyone who calls this their church home needs to be sacrificially giving time and service to the kingdom. And secondly, the church is a place of very literal interdependence. not enough. I know it's temporary. It's the best we can do. I get it. So for a lot of us, it's where two or three are logged in. I get it. But ultimately, ultimately, the church will never work that way in producing strong disciples. You need to come out of that. There's a a togetherness in the body of Christ that you can't get on Zoom. Paul says, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, I think 21, I'm not sure. The the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. He's talking about the parts of the church, the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I'm fine without you. Don't need you. He says, no. It's It's like a body. There's a connectedness. A place of service. A place of connectedness. And notice the way the Master says to both those faithful servants. They weren't equally gifted, but to both of them. Enter into the, surprisingly, enter into the joy of the Lord. It might not be found where you think. Call Jonathan. Let's pray. My, we, we, we come to your word. Some of us have been coming to your word for scores of years. And it is, it is a living word. It, it, it just speaks to our hearts. There's a sharpness to it. I guess that's, that's what the Bible means, the sword of the Spirit. It cuts through the fog. It cuts through our excuses. It cuts through the things that would make our hearts dull and unresponsive. It gives life. And so, bless us as we serve and bless us as we serve together. In Jesus' name I pray. man.